Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of MTG Rants. It's been a while, we know, we're really sorry, we'll make it up to you. I'm Teddy Grace, as always, I am joined by Ross. Ross, we should have just sent out hashtags soon, I guess, on the Twitter account at some point. Maybe that would have been okay. <laughs> no, we, we definitely should have. Actually, yeah. we should do that right after we're done recording. That's so good. Yeah, we're going to do that. All right. So, yeah. so everybody's hearing this. You're hearing the past and you're going to see <laughs> the future. And I don't know how time travel works. But <laughs> speaking of that, do you like time travel movies? I generally dislike them. Yeah. Um, they get messy. I'm not a big fan. Yeah. They just get really messy. Like, yeah. And it's so it's really difficult to make one that is like has internally consistent logic. Um, So I tend to have to like ignore that and I don't like ignoring it. Yeah. There is one exception, though. There's one time travel movie that I like. Let me guess, Back to the Future? No, I've never actually seen that one. Okay. Uh, it, you might not... It, it's it's also one of the few action movies that uh, I like. Hot, hot Tub Time Machine? No, sorry. Mm-hmm. Even... Oh, actually, I do like that one, so there's two. No. Okay, sure, that one's Hot great. Tub Time Machine is just a surprisingly good movie. It's really funny. All right, I watched work. it on a night where I was like, I just want to watch a bad movie and laugh yeah. at how bad it is. It have, I like, watched this, and as I'm watching, I'm like... This is actually just a good movie. Yeah, I like, have a few drinks. You know, you can't watch that movie yeah. like completely sober. Yeah, yeah. It's not, and you know, it's certainly not a great movie. It's not a movie not that I would, you know die to Oscars. recommend to people. But it's like yeah. this is a surprisingly good movie for how ridiculous the concept so, is. So, what's the actual movie that you? Like? It's uh, uh, the original Terminator. Oh yeah, okay. Sure. I think Terminator One is sure. better than Judgment Day, which is generally a. a I don't. A hot I don't take. agree with. I don't agree with that. That is definitely a hot take. I think it's good, but I think there are also two different types of movie. Like the first one isn't purely. It's like borderline. So it's an action movie, but it's it's one of the ones that's like borderline, uh, like almost scary, like you know, uh, like a thriller. It's a thriller yeah. for sure. Because uh, like she's running the whole time and stuff. Yes. And, the the thing about the the sequel about Judgment Day is I hate the kid that plays John Connor. I just find him incredibly annoying. Well, he hates you too, so it's all it's all good. Yeah. Now that said, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor is incredible. Amazing. In Judgment Day. Yeah. Because she's just a completely different character than in the first movie. Yeah. And she pulls both off perfectly. Yeah. I, I think the other thing about it, A, I don't know why my parents let me see this movie in the theater because it's like <laughs> I was probably like nine or whatever. I remember crying at the end of it. I do remember that. And just being terrified, but in like the good way. And like that was, I think that was one of the first big blockbuster movies I saw because like what year did that come out? Like 92, 93? Judgment Day? Yeah, is around there. Because I remember like some of the first big movies I saw was like that and then like Jurassic Park in 1994. I was like 10. But that, that was the first even, big one I saw. That wasn't rated R though. You were like what, seven, six? Uh, oh, I was like five. My mom let me go with my older brother. Yeah. Who was around that movie your was age. terrifying if you were a child. Holy yeah, shit. I, <laughs> I, was, I got really scared during it and so I went to take a nap and I was very good at sleeping when I was a kid, so I could just sure. take a nap in the middle of this theater with Jurassic Park playing, <laughs> no problem. Uh, and I, I told my brother, so, I know I just found that somebody you're like I was very good at sleeping. When very I was good. Kid. Yes. So I can't see Ross, but he's just so proud of himself for not doing it. Very good. Yeah. Top top child top Ross tier. skills. T- top one percent for sure. Yeah. Uh, like we would go to the drive-in. I never made it through the second movie. Yeah. Yeah. And. uh so uh, I told my brother, I was like, wake me up when the scary part's over. And my brother's like, sure. And of it's course, he knows, uh, I guess he like found out in advance about the, the T-Rex eating the guy off the toilet. Yeah. And he literally woke me up and my, I opened my eyes and that was the first thing I saw. When you got to go, you got to go, Ross. <laughs> but uh, like, there, there's definitely some decent ones too. Like, like I say this, you know, like obviously like the, the Back to the Future franchise is pretty great. By the way, do you know the main antagonist's name in Back to the Future? Biff? Yeah, but do you know his last name is? Tannen? 
Yeah, his name is Biff Tannen. Just for everybody yeah. at home, if you're curious randomly, I'm I'm older than these movies. I was born before <laughs> this movie came out. I was not named after that butthead. But here's here's the thing though. The actual premise to Back to the Future is kind of weird. Why is Doc Brown and Marty friends? They never explain that. Yeah, yeah, they're He's just like an 80-year-old yeah. scientist. And this I is just a boy. assumed that he was a teacher of his. It's like a Breaking Bad situation or something. Like, he, like you know what I mean? Like, you've seen Breaking Bad, right? Uh, no. Oh, so the, the main character's like, there's no reason for them to be friends. So far. If I remember right, he was like his teacher in high school, and then like they yeah. reconnect or whatever, because he was like, oh, like I know you were a piece of shit when you were in my class. Like, you probably know people to like sell drugs. I can't remember. I haven't seen Breaking Bad in a very long time. I know that's good. Also, the first episode is not good, in my opinion. I like fell asleep in it multiple times. I had to like force my way through it. Anyway. I'm assuming that's kind of what it is. There's a, there's a few decent ones, but like overall, they just get really messy. Like if you consider Endgame a uh, time travel movie, like obviously that one's great because they do time travel in it. But it's like never seen it. Not the same. Yeah, of course you haven't. Uh, that's kind of alluding to what's going to be going on later <laughs> in the show. Well, because we're going to be talking. Enjoy right that this. dynamic. Yeah. We got plenty more of it. Yeah, because that's one of the main things we're going to be talking about today before we go over spoiler cards. Is the big announcement from the universe beyond or blue black as I always read it on. Twitter, can we just, people keep abbreviating universe, universes beyond yeah. as a UB, and I'm just like, I am such an, a, a, a magic player, I only see blue-black. It's like when people yeah. abbreviate meeting as MTG, my mind just gets blown for like half a second. I'm like, wait, you're a, <laughs> you're a magic player? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> like, no, this just means meeting. But yeah, there's some decent ones out there that aren't, that aren't super bad. Also, I know you're really excited. Uh, the NBA started last night. For everybody who wants following along tonight, today is the 25th of October. Yeah. It's Wednesday. I watched a little bit in the both afternoon. games. And uh, the Jazz open tonight. I know you're excited about that. I will say this. I watched a tiny bit. The Lakers did not look anywhere near as good as Denver. Um, They got back into the game. It's well, yeah, just of course. A, it's the NBA. Yeah, they, they certainly did not look like they were on the same tier as Denver. Also, but like I'm kind of realizing Denver has so much continuity. Like, yeah, it's that the same generally team, gives you an right. advantage early in the season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, LeBron's uh, got to learn his team qu- quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas you know they have the you know the Nuggets have the exact same starting five. You know, even the bench guys that are getting more minutes are people that were on the team last year. Sure. So they the they didn't really bring in people from the outside. So there's nobody that they're tr- still trying to um, to you know, bring into the fold. Yeah. There's a word I couldn't come up with there. Sure. But, you know, integrate. Uh, there we go. That's the word, go. Tannen. I actually Nobody was just about to say integrate. that. It's really funny. You got the word I was looking for. And like, it's a sad moment for me. I know you're happy. It's sad for me because baseball's about to come to an end, though. I will say this. Thank God it's not the Phillies. <laughs> Holy shit. Thank God. Also, well, just what do you, what does everybody have against the, well, okay. I guess he, I was like, you know, hey, it's, Chris it's was acting this way too, but you're both Braves fans. So you had the same so, reason for despising so the Phillies. It's, it, it's weird for me because I actually, I'm, I'm actually not, I'm not as homerish as most people think. Like, obviously I love my team and I, and I support my team, but like, if I were to go but back you, to doing, you're like, also a baseball fan. Yes. If I thing. were to start doing like, sports radio again or having a real talk like that like I can have a discussion about the Phillies about how good they are and I think they're an amazing playoff team like I really do it's just like I don't love their fan base uh I get shit talked so much every year when this happens and I just like my favorite thing to always talk about though is like Philly fans are a lot like New York fans like they're some of the hardest uh however you want to put this hardest cruelest uh curmudgeon fans that you'll ever Most find in sports passionate Pat- that's actually a really good word I will say this I actually tweeted it you got to give them props. Their fan base might have been the craziest I've ever seen for a, for a baseball home game. Like it feels like a football game when you're at the, when you're at one of their baseball games. It's unreal. They're so loud. 
and so passionate and they live and die on every pitch. It's amazing. Um, it's hard to fully explain, but it's just like, it's mostly the shit fans that make me hate it, you know, because like yeah. I get random DMs from people who just know I'm a Braves fan and stuff and they're like, suck it, like we're better than you and all this stuff. I'm like, you're actually just not. If you just look at all the empirical evidence, like, yes, you've won two small series against us. We fucking own you over the last like five years, whatever. It's just like, you won the playoffs. I get it. Those games matter more. Cool. Like whatever. Also, one of my favorite things is they love to like hate on any little thing for people, right? Like they find something, they attach to it and they make it like their life's goal of the next week to be ridiculous about it. My favorite thing about just being petty about it is, and I've never seen a team do this. So the Phillies made the World Series last year and lost to the Astros, right? Yeah. Do you know they gave their players rings? Yes, I that face not. is the exact face I made. They gave them rings for making the World Series. And if there was ever a team that I think would be like the dad that's against participation trophies, I would think Philadelphia Phillies. Like literally, that in my mind, a Philadelphia Philly is like that dad who's against yeah. participation trophies. And like they do that because that's my favorite comeback. And they're like, oh, we always, you know, we beat you in the, in the thing. I'm like, how's your World Series ring? You know, I was like, because <laughs> ours is real. You know, like literally, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm holding one up and showing it to Ross right now. I've got a World Series ring right here on my desk. This is, you know, actual champions in the World Series. But anyway, uh, whatever. But uh, just like we all had it, it's going to be the Arizona Diamondbacks versus the Texas Rangers from the World Series, the one that we all predicted at the beginning of the season. Two of the teams that like limped into the playoffs and had some of the least win totals out of everyone. But, you know, baseball playoffs are a crapshoot. So I will say this. I think it's going to be a good World Series. And I'm actually really happy that it's something like this because baseball over the last like 10 to 20 years has had an amazing amount of parody other than like the Houston Astros pretty much. And then like some small smatterings like the Giants and stuff, right? You know, they, they won three out of six years, but then like the other years they didn't even make the playoffs yeah. and stuff. So uh, I love parody because I think it's just good for fan bases. Like even if your team, you know, makes it, gets the shit, uh, you know, gets, gets the shit kicked out of it, like whatever. It's, it's great for... Arizona to fall in love with their baseball team, right? It's great for Dallas, Texas to fall in love with their baseball team again and like have something to root for, blah, blah, blah. Like hey, awesome. You know, Tannen, we don't see it as much in other sports. I'm a, sometimes. I'm a fan of small market teams in yep, the same. NBA and the NFL, and I'm a fan yep. of a big market team in Major League Baseball. So that's the only league where I don't want parity. Yeah. Only the big market teams every year. The ALCS should just be Yankees, Red Sox every yeah. season. Well, the Yankees suck, so that's the, that's the problem. I know you're really happy yeah, about well, that. Yeah, well, so do the Red Sox, because they if, haven't had a pitcher stay healthy for more than a season in a well, decade. you're getting a new front office, so hopefully it turns it around. Also, the free agent market this year is like one or two decent position players and then infinite good pitchers, so we'll see what happens yeah, for them. Maybe so, they do something. You know, I also like how like, a bajillion the one dollars. medium pitcher they had for the last couple of years that was healthy is now on the Rangers and in the World Series mm-hmm. and had his best season ever. Yep. I mean, that's just how baseball works, right? Yeah, And one small thing to say after this, and the other reason I'm a little sad is I'm actually the point where like, I'll look at stuff and I'll watch games, but I'm getting to the point where I really don't like the NBA or the NFL. And I'm trying not to be tinfoil hat about this, but like, it's just so rigged. Like, it's so rigged. You have that wry smile on your face. You know, I'm not wrong. I'm not right, but I'm not wrong. Like, it's like, I'm getting to the point where I, I don't, I hate myself for even contemplating this thought. But it just feels so rigged to me at times, and it's just so annoying to watch at times. I mean, there. I think it's just a lot easier for big market teams to, like, you know, I guess I actually think it's probably least easy for big market teams to dominate in the NFL. They have the hardest cap. They have, yep. although, like, you know, you can get around it pretty easily and manipulate it. Um, hello, hello, New Orleans Saints were one of the best ever at that. We're, yeah, we're amazing. Yeah. So we dump the hoops every year. A, a lot of it is just about how much you're, you're, a lot of it is just about your owner. 
Like, does your owner want to spend money and win championships, or do they want to treat this franchise as a money making business? In which case, they're going to you know generally just be mediocre all the time um, to sell tickets. A lot too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's generally true across every sport, but um, basketball in particular, because it has the smallest rosters and the fewest people in the field. I think it's the easiest for an individual player to dominate a game. And so if you're the big market that is able to just attract the top five or 10 players in the, mm-hmm. the league, then you have a huge advantage. And yeah. uh, I people sort of get this mixed up and they, they think that like every market beyond a certain size is really, you know, has that advantage. There's really only like five markets in the NBA that have that kind of advantage. And right now it's the Lakers, it's the Warriors, it's the Heat. It's the Celtics and it, like maybe the Knicks, but not really. As yeah, soon as James Dolan sells the team, it, yeah. it'll be the Knicks again. Yep. Um, the the one team that's kind of rising up there is Phoenix. It's another warm weather city. It's close to LA. Yeah. They have a new owner now that's spending a lot of money. So cares. Yeah. Yeah. Phoenix might actually like you know leapfrog into that class of you know we have a, a significant advantage in terms of lowering free agents or it's players like demanding trades. You know, totally the Padres have done over the last like 10 ish years in baseball. Yeah. Like, flipped hey, the script. Gonna, yeah. I mean, the, the Warriors basically did that too. They were never sure. like that until this current era. And now, you yep. know, now they are. All right. Well, you know, we mentioned Marvel a little bit. Let's go ahead and transition on into that. Uh, maybe a little bit of a rock for the last few days, but uh, a new Universe Beyond got announced. And we'll probably have some in between us. Like, we know Fallout's still coming and like maybe some more, but it seems like I think it was 2025, I think was the, the year. We're going to be getting our, at the at the least, the next set that is going to be Universe Beyond, kind of like we got the Lord of the Rings set. We're getting a Marvel set. And then they said there was possibly two. Did I, did I read that incorrect or, or wrong? No, you did not read it incorrectly. Like they're, they heavily imply that this is going to be a multi, you know, uh, you know, Thing. product arc. Sure. Uh, I mean, and why I'm not? Sure there'll be commander decks, and yeah, I'm sure everything. there'll be literally everything. Yeah, because this, this is the biggest thing they've they've partnered with so far. Yeah. Now, one thing to note is they're partnering with Marvel, not Marvel Studios. Right. So this That's is going to be comic book centric, not film centric. Yeah. So you're you're not necessarily going to have like Robert Downey Jr. on a card. In fact, yeah, you will not. In, they're going God. to look different. Yeah. <laughs> the characters are going to look different. Uh so here's the thing. I think we joked about this like a year ago on the show. Someone's like, "What universe? You know what?" Uh, what are the, what is the other frame? Whatever. Anyway, what secret layer or universe beyond would, would get you? This is one of the ones that's probably going to get me. Like, I'm probably going to go ahead and buy like specific versions of cards. Um, especially if they bring the X Men involved, which I assume they probably will. I was a huge X Men fan. Uh, my my, my character's growing up. Huge X Men. Uh, loved Iron Man. I was not the typical like people are like, oh yeah, obviously like you know Iron Man or whatever. Now, but no, no. When I was a kid, Iron Man was a second rate character. He was like you know Spider Man was the big thing, or Superman or Batman. Like, Iron Man wasn't a... He was a tertiary yeah. who, character. Who, who had the movies? <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, right? And then Iron Man got the movies, and then he got and popular. You know, you know why, right? Because they, they didn't have the rights to their own super popular characters, so they had to do these, and then they were like, oh, we nailed it. You know, we just did a really <laughs> good job, yeah. <laughs> what if we were just awesome? Yeah. Because, like, well, that's a good if, idea, you're, if you're interested, this is actually really good. You should go watch. There's, like, uh, documentaries and stuff on it about, like, the rise and fall of Marvel and how, like, they barely survived... And yeah, they, they were like almost bankrupt in the nineties. Yeah, they 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 tried to sell Marvel to somebody, and they said no. And then they sold the rights for like movies and stuff of Spider Man and the X Men up to Fox, and like that's how they floated water. And then Fox did like okay, and then Marvel's like, you know what? Like they did okay. What if we did it just a little bit better? 
What if you made like actual movies with these characters in it, not just superhero movies, etc. Which I mean, we can get into that all that later. And by that later, I mean not on the show. Yeah. But, but yeah, so like, I'm actually excited about this one. Like, there's the whole toxic. You know, there's people that hate it. There's people that love it. People that think it's bad for the game. It's good for the game. Whatever. You know, like, you, you want magic to survive. There's always that argument. I'm not going to tell you that it's good for you. I'm not going to tell you that it's bad for you. I just think it's cool. I think it's great. I do think it's getting oversaturated a little bit at times. You know, we're getting so much so fast. Because, like, I think that's the biggest problem for me is, like, when you got, like, one or two of these a year, it was pretty cool, right? Here's the thing we talk about. We talk about product fatigue. I don't know if I've ever had it as bad as I've had it recently. It's it's just too much. Like, I can't, I yeah. can't keep up with everything. And now, like, everything I see, I have to now wonder... You know, is that from this product or is it some other product that I've forgotten what about that is being in? released, yeah. you know, a, a week earlier? It, you, it, you know, it used to be so easy. You know, you've got it four or five times a year. This is the preview season for, you know, we're definitely preview season for this set. So if I see, a, you know, a spoiled card, I can, you know, be sure that it's from that set. Now I don't even know. Is it part of like the commander subset for that set? I've got to try to like make sure I know the set symbols or it the, the so three-letter codes on the bottom of the card so I can be sure that I don't yeah. get fooled. Normally, I could just read the card, and if it's so obviously busted, it's a commander card. And if it's not as obviously busted, it's probably a standard legal or, card. It used to be the way it was worded, too. If it was worded a weird way, you're like, oh, that's a commander card. Now, yeah. that's not that doesn't work at all. Yeah, like, now all the cards are just worded for commander. Yeah. And, like, it happens so fast, too, now, Ross. Like, have you noticed this? Like, remember spoiler seasons back in our day? And I know this is uh, a old man yells like a cr- uh, cloud or get off my lawn, whatever. But like, I remember when we'd only get you know four or five of them a year max, and you know we get a few cards a day or whatever, you know, like here or there. And now it's just like, hey, this new set's coming out. Spoiler gonna start. Here's here's half the set. Yeah. And so there's no got to get through up. it to get to the next yeah. set. Yeah, you don't have a lot it's of time. Correct. Yeah, and I mean, like we started seeing this in the last couple years of verses. Because the the preview season shows used to be among our best hitting shows. We looked Ugh. forward to them. They were extra work because we'd have to like you know see what cards got previewed that day, right at like eleven Eastern, and then immediately start building decks to try to get decklists in as quickly as possible. Ugh. Because normally they wanted decklists in you know by noon. Yeah, I and remember so you talking gave, in our chat a lot about this. Me, you, yeah, and Britain. Yeah, they gave us a little bit more leeway in the next you know during preview season. Give us an extra hour or two. And so we'd have, you know, three hours and we'd just be like sitting there with our brewing caps on. You know, sometimes I, I would be messaging Brandon and be like, Brandon, you got something spicy for me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just could, could just rip one of his decks. I would just, you know, immediately just F5, you know, Yeoman 5's Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's, where's Yeoman? Yeah. Because yeah. he, does, he does some work. Shout to Yeoman. So, uh, hopefully he's listening uh, to this episode. Uh, to try to get these decks in. And the last couple previous seasons that we had with Corey and me, like our shows just didn't hit well. Part of that was Standard was dying. Or had died at that point, so and like most of previous season is focused on standard, uh, but you know, it was also just like there's so many products getting released, each one felt a lot less important. And yeah, that's only and more true today. Yeah, I think it's just going to be more and more true as as time goes on because of the the release schedule for this kind of stuff. You know, the almighty dollar, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, whatever. But I will say this: what I've seen so far, of this set, I actually kind of like. It looks kind of cool. We're going to go over some of these cards here in just a moment and look at some of the spoiler stuff, but. Um, I'm hoping the the thing I hope from this is that it impacts standard in a positive way and like makes new decks possible because we're going to have standard really pushed forward this year, which I think is a good thing. I actually really like yeah, standard. We need, we need in, standard. Yeah. I really like standard by past. My favorite deck of all time is a standard deck. 
my favorite format of all time is a standard format. I had a lot of fun in it. Probably my top two favorite formats of all time were standard. I love them. Um, I like these cards. Standard's been kind of boring for me for the last couple of years, but because of the like non-rotation we have now, and it just feels like this is the same decks all the time. Though I do think they're going to get better about fixing that in the future. You know, you've already seen some pretty aggressive bans uh, from them in standard, and has opened up some stuff. Though. Kibler put this into words really well on Twitter the other day. You know, he just randomly played Magic for a few days the other day. And I always respect Kibler because, like, he'll speak his mind and he's just blunt about what he likes and doesn't like about it. One of the things he talked about is a problem that I have where, like, all the decks are the same thing. It's either, like, mid-range soup or these decks that go, like, way over the top of each other. And then he he even boiled it down to brass tacks here where, like, he's, like, the two main sweepers in the set, Farewell and Sunfall, Exile. So, like, the creature decks just cannot compete with these cards in any way because, like, in the past, you'd have, like, you know, some graveyard recursion, you know, like Scrap Keep Scrounger or something is a good example yeah. of this. You know, something like that, like, that doesn't work anymore. You maximally get punished for it. It also ends the game really fast, Sunfall does, because all of a sudden they have a threat now of the next turn attacking you for a ton of damage. Yeah, and there's so like you no can't way... even just be like, okay, I'll take the time to reload because I've held back some stuff. Yeah. Instead, they're just going to be like, I don't care, I've got a big thing. And I'm Make a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. yeah, and I could untap and play, you know, one or two spells and you know, there's no way you're going to catch back up into this game. Yeah. And yeah, then there, there's been a dearth of aggressive decks uh, really for the last like three or four years in standard. Part hey. of it is um, uh, mana fixing has not favored aggressive decks. It's a lot of yes. ETB tap lands You know, triomes are, I think, the, you know, chief offender here. Um, then, you know, you've got a lot of good early interaction, things like hey. cut down. Uh, you know, are are really high on that list. There's some, there was some uh, good cheap ride removal too. But uh, and like, and then you like you said, like not being able to play through the big aggro hammers, the sweepers, having like having your normal counterplay to those cards get completely invalidated by yep. the specific sweepers you printed. Like, there's just nothing left for you to do. You can't yeah. play cheap creatures and get underneath them. They have the cheap removal. You like, you can't go wide. And try to beat the Spartan Mobile that way because the sweepers are too good. You and you can't, can't try to play top. a long game because yeah. their stuff goes way over the top of whatever you could possibly do. Like yeah, this whole idea of like up. siding yeah. in some like planeswalkers for the grindy matchup that aggro decks used to do a lot has now become a literal meme. You know, because well, like you can't even do that anymore because now yeah. we're getting one planeswalker a set. Which hey, look, I'm actually kind of happy about that. I got planeswalker fatigue of there always being like six planeswalkers that were always ridiculous and we had to play the entire game around them. But like. That was a good thing that they could do. They could do something along those lines. Or, like, you have some kind of permanent on the board that can maybe generate card advantage or attack right after some kind of uh, some kind of wrath, but the only good one they banned in Bank Buster. Yeah. So, like, you don't even have that card to recover with anymore versus these decks. So, I do think that's a problem in Standard, and hopefully maybe this set can do that a little bit. There were a couple, like, decent one and two drops that I saw from here, so I'll have yeah. to see, but... We, we've also had, you know, there's a couple other subtle variables here, too. There's the uh, proliferation of very flexible answers for artifacts and enchantments. Those used to be things you could sideboard against reactive decks and force them in two different directions. Like, yeah, I've got my creature removal and my sort of disenchant-based removal, but I can't really have both. When you have things like Colgan's Command and a Braid and Prismari Command and, you know, all, all effects of that ilk, you can't really do stuff like that. And the proliferation of legendary creatures to support Commander... That's a that's a, a bigger hurt for aggressive decks than it is for controlling decks because aggressive decks are generally playing, you know, a bunch of four ofs, trying to be super consistent. And when they draw a second copy of a legend, suddenly they're not able to pressure the control deck as much and they stumble yeah. and they lose that game. 
It's a lot easier for the reactor decks to diversify even their threat base and mitigate the downside of the, uh, you know, diminishing returns of legendary sure. creatures. Sure. Um, let's go ahead and start talking about this set just a little bit. And before we get into the specific cards, I want to talk about one of the new abilities that's in this set because uh, we're getting some some new abilities. We're getting some blast from the past because this is, uh, sorry, I should probably name this set, right? We're doing uh, the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And Ixalan, the first time around, Kind of a hit or miss set, I think. I think some people really liked it. Other people were kind of like, meh on it. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it's not one of the ones that like really stands out in your mind when you think of like the history of magic. But there was no. some cool stuff going on, it, for sure. It was a pretty good standard environment, though. R particularly Ypsilon Guilds of Ravnica. That standard environment, up until War of the Spark was printed, I think was quite good. And yes. then we had that run of just busted sets after busted sets. The it was fire War Spark, design started. And it was yeah. the core set with Field of the Dead and, Tefer and uh, not Teferi, that was in War field and um and like all the vampire stuff i guess and um there was another yeah, the dead was a nightmare yeah yeah there was another busted card in that deck and yeah i can't remember throne of eldraine and theros beyond death but like right before yeah. that it was sort of a resurgence of standard that was when yeah. you know autumn won the mc with the mono blue deck which is awesome Oof. and i'm sure Oof. one of the decks you were referring myself. to earlier Oof. um it's one of those uh, yeah my, and like yeah you know the the golgari slash sultai mid-range decks that you know mm -hmm. brennan played all the time and we just you know wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole <laughs> yes uh, i tried to play good. the tournament and just uh, couldn't yeah. do it <laughs> that, then you had your your teamer you know you had your reclamation decks uh that might have been war of the spark was reclamation so that yeah. might be a little bit later but um regardless like <laughs> though that 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 fall season and that that winter season i think were very good for standard mm -hmm. um so, you know, Ixalan was a, was a part of that. Uh, and it was that core of, um, of, uh, uh, Wild Growth Walker and Jade Light Ranger for the mid-range decks. That was like their version of Sylvan Carry added Corsair Crufix, which yeah. was like pretty good against the aggro decks. But if you killed the Wild Growth Walker, like you could win through it. And, you know, it wasn't that good against the other mid-range decks, but it was still solid. Like everything sort of felt pr pretty well balanced there in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, this could do really awesome things. It could run away with the game, but it wasn't guaranteed to run away with the game every time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things that could do really cool things, it's one of the abilities that I have in the set that I just want to talk about before we get into this because um, I just want to talk about overall how it's going to affect Constructed. And it's one of the abilities in the set. There's like two or three of them that are just like either a different way or a more complicated version of a prior ability. <laughs> which is yeah. all, which is magic nowadays, I guess. Like everything is kicker, right? Everything's kicker and what? What is it? Everything's kicker and buyback or kicker, whatever. Like, yeah, kicker or, or buyback or flashback. Or, or something. Yeah, or something, whatever. Um, I'm just going to show you one of the preview cards. Right? We're just going to talk about one of the very easy preview cards here. Geological Appraiser. It's two red red for a 3-2 human artificer. Doesn't sound so good, right? But it says when it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, discover three. Well, what is discover, Ross? Because this better be good. Otherwise, this card's unplayable. Um... So it says exile cards from the top of your library to exile a non-land card with mana value three or less. Cast it without paying its mana cost or put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom in a random order. So what does this sound like to you, Ross? Cascade. It's like fixed cascade, right? Like you could put the card into your hand as well. So if you cascade <laughs> yeah, into that a counterspell, <laughs> yeah, if you cascade into a counterspell or a combat trick that you don't want to use, you can now put the card into your hand. That's really cool. Um... It still has the new thing where, like, you can't cascade into, you know, Valky and be like, okay, well, now I'm going to play the Planeswalker or whatever. Like, it has to be the, the cheaper thing. But so Cascade coming back, really cool. Um, I actually like this ability. I think 
it should be sweet, but I am worried about just being more mid-range, more mid-range, more mid-range in standard now because of this, but maybe some of the more aggressive tilted mid-range decks like playing to the board can keep up now, but I, I will I, say, okay. we, you know, we've only seen a small part of the set, but we haven't seen a card with discover less than three, right? right. Three is the smallest discover number so far. Yes. Hopefully but, that stays true. I, I, I am, because discover sure. two would be the equivalent of the three mana cascade cards, right? And yes. they've always been the problems in terms of turning cascade into this linear, you know, repetitive combo yes. ability, enabling ability. Hopefully they stay away from that because I was going to say, like, just looking at this one in particular... I worried about its implications in modern with cards like Fury and, you know, like, have you seen Spike's uh, new deck with, like, it just discovered yeah, the, beans the over and over Cascade Beans deck. Yeah, but, and, like, but that deck's really cool, but, like, that, it's so that repetitive. Deck came, like, it, it plays Bloodbraid Elf. It might play, the like, these two just to, like, get more beans. But, yeah. You know. Um, but I'm, I'm not worried about this. Like, from seeing yeah. it, I do think it's cool. I do think it it does take away some of, like, the deck building restrictions that Cascade had where you can't just like throw whatever you want to your deck now you could easily throw whatever you want like you can even put a sideboard card in your in your deck or yeah, like from your sideboard it's, and like it's not a to worry about of, it as much that's the new way they're designing things right they just don't want anybody to have sure. that feel bad experience of like, sure. cascading into a card that does nothing so right. they just you know find a way to you know cut that out from the beginning and that's okay. what this does I agree with you like I think risk and reward is interesting Whereas, you know, this is just all reward, no risk. So yeah. it's a, just a clean two for one. Even, you know, if you hit, even if you like hit a threat that you don't want to immediately play because it's like a creature with an ETP ability yeah. that you want to save, uh, you know, you can put it into your hand. You know, obviously like knowing when to, you know, do that and not do that. Sometimes you'll be playing around a sweeper. That, so this creates some other interesting decisions. Sure. Um, that the that cascade didn't but on the whole i think you know i like having those sort of deck building sacrifices okay. where you're not playing you know counter spells or as many reactive cards because they're not as good with cascade um now sure. you just you just get to play it play it in your deck without much thought so that that's obviously the, the perspective of a you know highly invested player you know uh but that's just to me that's what makes magic a you know, a good game is having to have all of those deep little intricate decisions. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go ahead and talk about a few of these cards at least. Uh, I have it up on uh, Mythic Spoiler. What are you using? I'm also on Mythic. All right, let's just go down the line. Let's start with this, uh, this white legendary god. All right, so this is, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this name. Um, it's four white white for a legendary creature god. This is 6-6. Six, six. It has Vigilance. It says, if one or more creature tokens would be created under your control three times that many of those tokens are created instead. And then it, when it dies, you return to the battlefield tapped and transformed under its owner's control. The transformation, it turns into a land. The land taps for a white, and then the land has that two and white. Yeah, two and a white, tap it. Transform this, activate only if you attacked with three or more creatures this turn, and only as a sorcery. So you can make sure this, you know, comes back and stays in play all the time here. Uh, your own sweepers are fine, because you're going to get your thing back. This is a commander card, if I've ever seen one. You know, six mana, six six vigilance that makes a bunch of extra stuff. Yeah, wait three years before they put the card that quadruples your tokens. It, it, someone made that joke. Like twenty years from now, is it just going to be like they're cheaper? They make five times. Like I get it. Yeah, but like you know, there's a bunch of different variations on this. Um, I commander card. I'm, I'm sure there might be a standard card somewhere deck that like once. Well, I don't know, but this just screams commander to me. Yeah. Now. Other than, you know, these effects typically have not been good in Constructed because, uh, although Anointed Procession did see Constructed play. 
Um, because you know, they don't do anything immediately because it's usually bet on some enchantment. This one is stacked onto a relatively large body. That's nice. It's a body that doesn't generate you immediate value. So at six mana, that's a problem, but there is one other way that you can be playable at a high value without providing immediate value. And that's being difficult to deal with. The reason that you need immediate value for a high, for a high mana cost is that when your opponent just plays their removal spell, you can't trade your high mana cost card for the low cost of their removal spell without getting some value in return. But if their removal spell doesn't work, then that whole dynamic is flipped on its head. So the fact that this creature needs to, you know, does provide value to any removal spell that doesn't exile or bounce or, you know, uh, you know, leave it leave it on the battlefield and maybe just take away its abilities, things like that, uh, makes it more interesting. And if you play it with, say, a sacrifice outlet on the battlefield, then you can always make sure it dies in response to any sort of exile-based removal spell or, or similar thing to get around the claws and make sure it stays around. So mm-hmm. in certain contexts, there's more potential here than I would typically say for a card like this. Um, but overall, you know, six mana, no immediate impact. That's a, a pretty high bar cl- to clear for constructive play. Yep, the next one, the Enigma Jewel. It's a cool name. All right, one blue mana, legendary artifact, enters the battlefield, tapped. Tap it, add two colorless. Spend this mana only to activate abilities. And then, okay, this gets really wordy. This is one of the new new abilities. Ross, I had to read this like four times. So I'm <laughs> still not sure I get it. All right. Craft with four or more non-lands with activated abilities. And then it's eight and a blue to do this. So you exile this artifact and then exile the four or more among other permanents you control and or cards in your graveyard. Return this card transformed under its owner's control. Craft only the sorcery. So let me get this right. I can pay eight in the blue, exile this and four or more permanents or things in my graveyard that have activated abilities to transform this. Not non-land permanents. Yeah, because it says four or more from among other permanents you control and or cards. And it's dude, this is the wordiest ability I've ever seen. Yes, it's like, a very confusing ability. Yes. So for everybody at home, hopefully that explained it for you. And then it transforms into a legendary artifact that says, uh, Locus of Enlightenment has each activated ability of the exiled card used to craft it. You may activate each of those abilities only once per turn. Whenever you activate an ability that isn't a mana ability, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. Again, this just seems like a commander card to me, though there could be a wild, wild combo deck in standard that plays something along those lines and it would be really complicated and my brain isn't big enough for that i'm way too smooth brained for this yeah i don't think there's going to be you know maybe there's something with like training grounds in this you start using this mana to activate abilities and then you're you know untapping maybe there's something with um with soul cauldron um you know it, it does generate two mana for one mana like it, it's a it's a soul ring with a lot of with obviously a, a heavy restriction Oops. and yeah um but like maybe there, maybe with like oh. uh, like a paradoxical or paradox engine. So I, there are some things I would look into. I would not expect any of them to work. I agree with you. It's basically a commander card. This is like the splashy craft ability. Most of the other craft so, abilities aren't like four other cards. It's like one other yeah. card. So this is the most confusing of them all. So don't don't get you know too worried about how craft works. But basically. Craft only works with permanence. That's why you don't see permanent in the top line of the text there. It just says non-lands. Um, and you like pay an amount. It's an activated ability. So you have a, a, a mana cost. You, you know, I assume they, they need to, but they all will. 
and you exile the card that you're crafting with and then the other cards that you need to cr- craft with it and you make you know something cool out of it so mm-hmm. i like it conceptually it's not that difficult to understand it's just that the so i i would think about it conceptually more than from the words specifically but if you're worried about how it interacts with the you know the game engine itself this is just an activated ability it's mm-hmm. just a special kind of activated ability where you're exiling either permanent cards you control or permanents from your graveyard or some combination thereof along with paying a mana uh, mana cost and exiling the craft card itself to get this you know transformed version of it all right so the next one this is a blue bat god i'm sorry black bat god i don't know why i said blue um i have no idea to pronounce his name uh it's three black black for a legendary creature bat god it's a four four flyer of lifelink when it attacks each opponent discards a card for each opponent who can't, you draw a card. Whenever an opponent discards a land card, create a 1-1 black bat creature token of flying. And whenever it dies, return to the battlefield tapped and transform it under its con- under your control. On the other side, it's a land that taps for black. And then for two and a black, you could transform it back to the other side. Activate only if a player has one or fewer cards in hand and only has a sorcery. Yeah, so um, just, just like the white one, sure. you know, th- this is a cycle of gods that all have that, you know, when they die, they transform yeah. into a land, and then the land can bring them back, so... It's a little more hoops to go through than the last time where the, it just happened. You know, it just went back to our hands or whatever, or the top of our decks or whatever. Yeah. The best. I kind of don't hate this card, Ross. This card seems really sweet. I mean, uh, they're all of these, you know, we've, we have three of the gods. We'll, we'll do the, the other one next, but they're all obviously very powerful cards, that if they stick around and they have some mechanism to stick around with this, when they die, transform into a land, the land can bring them back under certain conditions. Um, and so you're, you're able to, you know, eventually work them onto the battlefield. What I think this will do in practice, if they prove, you know, good enough to force people to play these kinds of answers is you just will have to play exile based removal spells in standard. Like it'll, it'll, all, it'll be about the Oblivion contempt. ring style yeah. effects. It'll be, you know, red removal that has that clause to exile a creature when they, when they die sure. so it'll really emphasize those kinds of removal spells but you know having that those kinds of pressures is generally good for a standard environment because then sure. everybody starts playing those kinds of removal spells then you find the threats that match up well against those removal spells and you keep that metagame churn going so i like that we have a sort of cycle of big creatures that need to stay on the battlefield i do think ma- magic sort of needs more of that this is something patrick sullivan has talked about a ton um and uh, that you know this is a reasonable way of doing it without them being too busted because they don't do anything when they enter the battlefield and uh, you're you know maybe you'll be able to just like tempo them out you know, use your your normal removal spell give them a land but i'm so ahead on the battlefield i can you know uh, uh, i can live with that trade or does the extra land that you give your opponent you know mean that they can easily catch back up there there's some good tension there so you know, regardless of the specific designs of these, I like this as a cycle. I like this as I like a place to put some power level in the set. Yep. And we got the red one right after this. It's two red red for legendary god. It's a four four trample. If a red source you control would deal an amount of non combat damage less than this is power, less than this thing's power to an opponent, that source deals damage equal to its power instead. I'm, it's like Ogier Ax- Axonil. Like, whatever. I think it's OG or something. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Um, when it dies, return it tapped, and then it taps for red. Two and a red. Transform it back. But you can only activate this if a red source you control dealt four more non-combat damage a turn, and only as a sorcery. This one feels really win more to me, and very, like, hoop jumping, and I'd much rather just have, like, more cards in my deck that are aggressive and trying to kill my opponent's red. Though, I can see maybe someone in a commander playing this card because it, you're affecting a lot more people and having to deal a lot more damage. 
Yeah, it lets you immediately transform your uh, your flip Chandra from Origins. Tap it, deal four. About it's now sure. still three. I, I transform it. Um, sure. I kind of like this one because this is the one that has potential to make an impact immediately. You know, if you just have, I don't know what kind of like pingers there are or like red creatures that will deal non-combat damage. You know, something like, um, what was the one mana one one that like when it attacked it pinged the opponent and they played it in the, oh, the, in little, the deck the little, with the enchantment. The little lizard. Yeah, the little lizard. Yeah, like uh, spike, you know, whatever. Like, sure. You know, if you've got creatures like that in your red aggro deck, then this is a really interesting curve topper. Um, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, you know, Hell Rider and this is a Mondo combo if you, but the, you know, that requires you to untap with it and all these creatures, all the gods are going to be great if you untap with them. But if you can come up with a red deck that like, you know, this is going to immediately threaten to deal like five at four extra damage because you're, you know, pegging two things when you are for four instead of for one, you can, you know, make some really big swings. Mm-hmm. Next, we got a Hotly Poet of Unity. Two and a One green. One of my favorite for, cards. Yeah, two and a green. Isn't sweet. Two and a green for a legendary creature, human warrior bard. It's a two three. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. Portal three. Yeah, no, I was say, uh, Bread of the Candio is yeah. so hard right now. <laughs> I just want to draft Civic Wayfinder and Ravnica. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then it has an ability three, either red, white, red, white. So it's five mana that you can pay the red or white. You get to exile this, then return her to the battlefield transformed, uh, activate only as a sorcery, and on the backside she's a saga. It's Roar of the Fifth People. Cool name, by the way. Uh, great name for a band. Anyway. Uh, first chapter, it's got four of them, by the way. First chapter. Create two, three, three green dinosaur creature tokens. Okay, already pretty good. Yeah. Uh, number two. Uh, Roar of the Fifth People gains. Creatures you control have tap, add red, green, or white, so add Naya. Three. Search your library for a dinosaur card, reveal it, put it in your hand, shuffle, up Great card advantage. I'm, I'm in. Number four, dinosaurs you gain control. Dinosaurs you control gain double strike and trample until turn. So just overrun for your yeah. dinosaurs. Make your dinosaurs. Get a bunch of mana to play more dinosaurs. Search for more dinosaurs. You still have the mana from chapter two because chapter two doesn't say until end of turn. So it's like Urza Saga still having the ability to make a construct when chapter three happens. Use that mana to cast your burly big dinosaur that you just found. Chapter four. Attack with all of your dinosaurs because they now have double strike and trample. So, so you, you missed a really good opportunity there. You missed a really good opportunity. You should have been chapter four profit. Yeah, chapter four profit. Yeah. And you're I like this card because it it reminds me a lot of of Nissa the flip Nissa from Origins. Sure. Yeah. It was really and, good. You know, yeah. It's it's a creature that is generating some immediate value. Normally those creatures you ignore with your removal and just let them get their value and you get your card advantage elsewhere. This one, you gotta kill it. Yeah, it's really good if it transforms. So it, it's a, real good. You know, three mana, two three. Can play some defense. Can play a little offense. It demands a removal spell, but generates a little bit of value, and it fixes your mana. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sign me up. Next, we have another Galta Galti, Galta Stampede Tyrant. Uh, five green, green, green. So it's eight legendary creature, Elder Dinosaur. Trample twelve twelve. When it enters the battlefield, put any number of creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. It's a lot of stats for us. Yeah. Note note that this does not have the when it enters the battlefield if you cast it or if you yep. you know uh, that yep. kind of clause. This is just reanimate me. Put all the creatures. Uh, you know, it, it's it's sort of a it's a little weird because normally the reanimator deck is not going to have a bunch of creatures in its hand to put onto the battlefield. Um, it could be like interesting with show and tell, I guess, um, because you know whatever your opponent puts in, you then have another ability to, like, you know, sort of retrump them. Um, 
but I imagine it's just going to be more of a commander card. It's obviously an incredible natural order target. Like, can you, you think imagine? about that? That's really cool. Yeah, can you nat- imagine natural ordering for this in cube? It's yeah. still probably worse than natural ordering for Atraxa, but like, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I love this card. All right, next another really sweet one: Bone Horde Dracosaur. Is that yeah. it? Dracosaur? Okay, Dracosaur maybe. Dracosaur, sure. It is a creature dinosaur dragon. Love it. For three red red, five five flying first strike. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them this turn. If you exile a land card this way, create a three three one red dinosaur creature token. If you exile a non-land this way, create a treasure token. Ross, this is another one of those like four or five mana dragons that we get in every set like this that has, you know, flying whatever and then like does something really good. This card, if it survives, is very good. It can take well, over a game. Normally, they're big haste dragons, which is a lot sure. different than this one. This one does not sure. have haste, so it's not going to do something immediately, uh, and that is a problem. So I think people have overreacted to this card as a creature. Like, it only, you know, unlike the gods, this one has to stick around to do something, but it doesn't have that ability to dodge removal. Now, if you're in a metagame where people are going to, you know, struggle to answer it based on what removal they're playing, then that's a different question, because if this does stick around, it's unbelievably busted. Um, so it'll take over games quickly. You know, I hope that cards like this are good in standard. I think standard will be better if they have, you know, cultivated metagame where cards like this are good, but I will uh, believe it when I see it. Regardless, yeah, despite how powerful it is, it's, you know. Next, we have these, this mythic demon. It's one black, black, black for a vampire demon with flying. It's a two, four. It says whenever an opponent would lose life during a turn, they lose twice that life instead. Damage causes lo- uh, loss of life. So, I kind of like this card. Yeah, it's like um, the Black Hellrider. Right? Because, like, yeah, can you imagine going, like, one drop, two drop, three drop, or whatever, and then, like, you know, they do something, and you're like, play this, attack you. Now, also everything's with, just double power. With a creature like Graveyard Trespasser, you're going to double the life loss from the trigger as well as Very the good damage. Point. Uh, and that's a creature that's likely to survive. It curves really well into this. This is a cool Black Aggro card. I like Black Aggro, black aggro decks. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. those decks tend to have, like, you know, they tend to have recursive threats, Though, obviously, that, that doesn't matter right now in Standard, uh, which I like. They have really good removal, so, it you know, you can answer when uh, people's, you know, bigger creatures that are just trying to get in your way and play defense that way. They often have, you know, pretty reasonable sources of card advantage. Aggro decks don't mind paying life for card advantage, which Black, uh, you know, usually <clears throat> wants you to do. They usually get good evasion. You know, this flies. There's a lot of other Black Flyers around. Uh, and they, they get to sideboard discard spells. So if you're worried about those sweepers, in your recursive threats right. aren't good. You know, bring in your duresses, your thought seizes, all those kinds of cards, and you'll be able to answer your opponent's sweepers that way. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hopefully there's a good black aggro deck. Yep. Uh, I like that it's ca- it's the casting cost on it's correct. It's like one triple black. Like yeah, you're, you're you, playing a black deck. Yes. Yeah, that, that this would be a, a, a gross card if, if you're able to just, like, put it in a red deck. Like, hey. Oof. <laughs> so I'm, tr- I'm trying to do the mythics because we don't have all day for this episode. We're going to do another one really soon. I'm trying to do the mythics here, and it's like really hard to tell with some of these cards. But next one, the Skull Spore Nexus. Uh, I haven't read this one yet, but it looks like it's going to be something really crazy. All right. Six green, green legendary artifact. This spell costs X less to cast, or X is the greatest power among creatures you control. So this is uh, like, what do you call it? Um, the Great Henge. Whenever one or more. Whoa, I put my cursor over it and it made it look all funky. Whenever <laughs> one or more creature. I'm sorry. Whenever one or more non token creatures you control die. Create a queen fungus dinosaur creature token with base power comes equal to the total power of those creatures. And then two tap double target creatures power till the turn. Okay, this card's 
pretty powerful for us. Yeah, it's a little weird though. Like normal, normally, sacrifice decks are playing a lot of small creatures, so you're not going to get as much of a of a rebate or discount on the casting cost, which is quite high. You don't get the mana boost that you got from the Great Hand. I think that was you know subtly one of the best things about it. You could basically it made it too good. Yeah, you got to like play it on curve. You know, yeah. I'll play it for two mana. I'll immediately get the mana back, so I don't. And then I'll, you know, I'll play. They don't cast creatures. a creature, start going crazy with uh, it right away. Yeah. yeah, and this one. So uh, I imagine playing this one a lot more just for the the static ability or the triggered ability. Um, and I just don't know exactly like where that fits. Like, what what sacrifice deck am I going to play big creatures in so I can cast this for a reasonable amount of mana? Because I think you need to consistently be casting this for four or less. To you and I, sure. I think I'm being a little generous there. So, you know, what sacrifice deck plays a bunch of four and five power creatures? Uh, yeah, I just don't think you have to play it in a sacrifice deck. You, know, you can just play this in a deck with creatures. Okay, it'll be and then okay. Your I don't plays their exile sweeper, and you're sure. you're sad. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot. Excuse me. Hey, what? Yeah. Yes, Ross. I am sad. Thanks for noticing. Thanks for filling in for me while I'm sneezing. Hold on, <laughs> I've got another one coming. <laughs> All right, we're going to go down to some of the other mythics. We even have the, let's, let's go ahead and just do the Planeswalker that we got for this. Uh, this is Quintorius Canned. It is an elephant. I love it. All right. Uh, what's up? You're... I, I know at least one person that's very excited about this card. Your partner? Yeah. She may, maybe because she has a Quintorius Commander deck. So, yeah. She's a little, all right, never mind. Yeah. The, ele- the right. elephant historian. Yes. Three red, white, legendary Planeswalker Quintorius. Uh, whenever you cast a, sp- it has a, a, a static. Whenever you cast a spell from exile, this deals two damage to each opponent and you gain two life. Plus one. Create a three through three two red and white spirit creature token. Minus three, discover four. That's the new cascade. Minus six. Exile any number of target cards from your graveyard. At red for each card exile this way, you may play those cards this turn. Ross, I, I kinda like this card. I think it's kind of sweet. Yeah, I mean note that the the discover mechanic casts from exile. So if you minus three, yes. you're going to trigger the, yep. sta- the, you're going to get the trigger. Um, and I, yeah, it seems like that to me makes it seem like more of like an aggressive card, but you're, you're also sort of building towards this ultimate. I like being able to plus to make three twos. Like, yeah, that's pretty great. Like, it's going to be hard to attack down if you're able to plus it to make three twos. Suddenly your opponent's under pressure from those if they're trying to attack this thing down, if you can, and if they're casting cards of exile, which I assume decks with this card will be doing, you know, your that pressure is, is you know, significantly uh, increased, and that ultimate is nice. Yeah, I think this card's really good and it's going to find a spot in standard for sure. Like, yeah. There'll probably be some kind of either deck where this is the top end or like some mid-range deck, and then I wonder if there's like some really cool stuff that we can do with this where like we get to exile our own stuff or profit in some way and then cast it from there like there's spells that do that where you could exile something and then its controller can pay it play it again for a little bit more you know man or whatever blah 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 i'm sure there's some ways we can do this but i like this card a lot um i, I, I do think the, the three twos specifically that sizing they're going to be really yeah. easy to answer right the cut sure. downs answer them all the red cheap red removal will answer it so you could potentially get tempoed out, but five is a lot of loyalty. So yeah, I'm I'm in on it too. Yep. All right. So this is a uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce this. Two green white for a three four Just legendary creature. The set noble. of the set of cards Tannen can't pronounce. Yeah, they they got me. All right. All right. Anyway, 
Uh, it's a green white, two green white, three four legendary creature, cat noble with ward two. Whenever it attacks, for each other creature you control, power greater than the creatures have base power. All right, let me get, make sure I get that right. For each creature you control with power greater than that creature's base power, put a number of plus one plus one counters on them equal to the difference. Okay, so I get it. Uh, this is for those uh, wide token decks that people love to make. Probably a commander card. It has ward two, so at least it has a chance to survive in standard. Here's the thing. If you play this on curve, especially on the on the play, it being a 3-4 is going to be very hard for your opponent to answer with a two-mana spell on turn three or four. Or turn yeah, four. and even if they do, you're at parity. Like, the ward two yeah. goes a long way towards making sure that you're at least trading your creature for a removal spell of the same cost. And if that's the worst-case scenario, you're in good shape. Because the best-case scenario for this card is it attacks and the game immediately ends. Yeah, that, that's the other thing too. Is like you you had to do it other stuff. So like this feels like a card where when it works, it's going to feel great. But I think too often it's not going to work for you. But whatever. All the, right. Yeah. Um, the main issue is that this card doesn't do much by itself. Sure. Like, if it's attacking alone, it's just a four and a three four that's attacking. Mm-hmm. So yes, it has war two. They can't kill this as easily. But what if they just aim all their removal spells at your other creatures that are trying to build off these synergies? Now the Sovereign doesn't look so good, they don't really need to use a removal spell to answer it. That's the problem. That's a good point. That's a good point. So uh, there's also, before we get into the rest of the Mythic, there's two reprints at Mythic here, it looks like. So Gistaf's Son's Avatar is back. For anybody who knows I'm talking about, I don't need to read this card to you. I'm pretty positive this is a reprint. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I I remember. Yes. Okay. Uh, And then this one's definitely a reprint. Cavern of Souls, if you didn't (laughs) know this already, is is in this set at Mythic. So a money card that's definitely going to be very playable and standard. Um, next, we have a green-black card. It is the uh, Myco Tyrant. One green-black for a legendary creature, Elder Fungus. Um, hold on, let me pull this one up. The text is really short. I mean, small. All right, so it's a Star Star with Trample. Its power toughest are equal to the number of creatures you control that are Fungi and or Sapperlings. At the beginning of your instep, create X11 black fungus creature tokens with this creature can't block where X is the number of times you is it descended this turn? Yes. It says you descend each time a permanent card is put into your graveyard from anywhere. So it's kind of like uh what do you call it? Revolt. Kind of. Yeah. Kind but, of. You know anytime you self mill a permanent that at, you, know, you can basically sort of keep your descend account for the turn when you're playing with this card at the end of the turn oh, I've put four permanents in my graveyard. I guess I'll make four one ones, And now my Myco Tyrant gets plus four, plus four. Yeah, this is a, a build-around-me card, but when it does, this is one of the ones that ends games very quickly. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it needs to live to your end step in order to start doing things, but one turn of living should be enough if <laughs> you're able to set it up with some self-mill stuff, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly what uh, options you have there, the, the problem is that one-shot effects at one and two mana, things like Mire Triton and Stitcher Supplier aren't going to work. You need to have milled on that turn for the Myco Tyrant. So you need cards that like tap to mill, and those tend to not be as good, obviously, because then you need to wait, and your opponent can just use a removal spell on them. So I don't like that aspect of the card and that it synergizes best with weaker cards as opposed to synergizing with generally more powerful cards. But I, I do like build-arounds like this. Yeah. Also, I mean, like, in some situations, you could just, like, offer up a trade, you know, attack your opponent, and they're like, okay, block, play the second main. You know, it's at least something you can do. 
Also, Oops, sorry can about I that. can I rant about Cavern yeah. Souls for a second? Yeah, for sure. Because uh, there's there was some pushback from uh you know on on the website about Cavern Souls. This is a card that got widely panned when it was originally printed in uh, Avicen Restored. You know that was right around the time we started seeing creatures got like really good. And people that liked playing spells and hated playing creatures were mad that their counter spells didn't work. Look at look at the way standard looks right now. Like counter spells are <laughs> a way smaller part of Magic than they used to be. Uh, you know, generally for the better because they used to just be way too powerful relative to the creatures, and things have gotten you know rebalanced. A lot of people have you know saw it, seen that rebalancing as a sort of imbalancing, but that's just their perspective. What Cavern of Souls does do is give aggro decks really good mana fixing, and you know without entering tapped, and yep. that is something that aggressive decks are going to need to compete. It's in the standard. secret mode. So, that's the secret mode of yeah, Cavern. I, it, yeah. yeah, just having a five color land for your you know. At your certain aggro decks is going to be really helpful in like, helping those decks, you know, maintain a certain power level, the similar power level to the mid range decks, uh, with while still being able to, you know, come out quickly and get ahead of their opponents consistently. Yeah. So I'm all for having Cavern Souls in standard, and obviously the card needed a reprint for financial reasons as well. It's like when um, humans is really good in modern, and I asked my buddy about it, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess to play a bunch of Capra Souls, so like, you know, the control decks can't counterspell, and he's like, bro, I beat the crap out of them anyway, I don't care about them countering my stuff, I just want another land that can cast all of my one-drops on one, and then my three, you know, my Mantis Rider on three, no matter <laughs> yeah. what. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to curve Noble Hierarch into Mantis Rider, so Capra Souls is great. Yeah, yeah. Alright, next we got Sahili, the Sun's Brilliance. Uh, I can pay, I can pronounce this one, Ross. Uh, red, blue, <laughs> two, two, legendary creature, human artificer. For red and blue, you get to top it, and then you get to create a token that's a copy of another target creature or artifact you control, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. It gains haste, sacrifice at the beginning of your next instant. Uh, so your new Kiki-Jiki type card of the set, this one also does artifacts. It's a 2-2. It's extremely, extremely vulnerable. Um, I can't ever see myself really putting this too much in the decks like, and trying to go off, or like maybe there'll be a combo or something with this, because it's a 2-2 and dies to literally everything, and then you yes. need it to survive with other things that are good. But a busted card and limited, I'll tell you that for sure. The saving grace of this card is that it's cheap. So even if yep. it, it trades for your one or two mana removal spell from your opponent, you're not really behind by all that much if you're behind at all. And it can do a lot of cool things if it lives. So, you know, that that's, I guess that's sort of the third secret mode of, you know, dying to removal not being a problem. You know, you can either generate immediate value, you can n actually not die to the removal because of the, you know, certain abilities. That was the, that's the gods. Or you can just be so cheap that dying to removal isn't really a problem, and that's yep. a trade you're willing to make. And then the upside is my creature lived, and I'm immediately generating card after card of value. So maybe because it's cheap, but it just requires like you need this, and you need some sort of artifact that like cantrips or does something, and it takes like a good amount of mana. And you know, if you want to get it going early, you're going to spend a lot of your early development doing this instead. This is more something you're going to do once you run out of your early resources. So I don't see it, but this is again like this is the kind of card I want to be good, but I, I'm skeptical. Yep. Next is my uh, sleeper card in the set, and a card that combos really well with an uncommon in the set that people have been talking about on the website as like, hey, this is a card you shouldn't overlook. Um, this is a two white and a black for a four four flying legendary creature vampire demon. I gotta try it. It's a veto, uh, and then a fanatic of whatever. All right. Whatever you sacrifice. Sure. Acolytes maybe. Okay. One of those we're, two. We're gonna. I'm giving up on that. All right, I I I'll, I sympathize with you. Like normally, I I feel pretty confident in my ability to intuit pronunciations of cards. Um, I being virtually you know 
non-familiar or like, you know, not familiar at all with Nahuatl, which is I'm sure where, you know, a lot of these place names are based off of, or some like mix of Nahuatl and, and Spanish. Uh, it's, it's strange and it's not going to be, I think we're going to see some, you know, I'm actually going to try to like search out that they release like a pronunciation guide, right? I'll probably Uh, try to search that out and, and make sure I know how to pronounce these names. Yeah. All right. So this one has a, a a ability that scales up to flying four, four. Whenever you sacrifice another permanent, you gain two life. If this is the first time this ability resolved this turn, if it's the second time each opponent loses two life. If it's the third time, create a 4-3 white and black vampire demon creature token with flying. There is a card in the set, Ross. It's a two-drop that lets you sacrifice other stuff. Bartolome del Presidio. Yeah, and you get to do it as much as you want. There's no activation cost. There's no drawback. Like, you could just go crazy. If a deck wants this kind of effect, this card is going to be very integral in, like, just going off in, in, in one turn for a lot of value. Yeah, and if you generate the 4-3, then it's great. Yeah, so... I generally think you're not going to be doing it the second time if you're not doing it the third time in a turn, unless like you know there's there's some really weird situations where you're like, oh, I I, I probably want my opponent to lose two life or whatever here. But we, I'm pretty sure I have to go back through what's involved to stand. There's enough one, two, and three drops in black and white that can give us enough value. A when they die, B if they leave bodies behind, so you could sacrifice the same creature technically twice. You know the well, doomed traveler esque creature. One of my sleeper cards from the early, you know. uh from these early previews is uh, exactly what you describe. It's actually all of those things in one. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. one of the uncommon, the sanguine evangelist two and a white two, one vampire cleric has battle cry. When it enters the battlefield or dies, you make a one, one black bat creature token with flying. Yep. So, you know, by it's, it, it's sort of like mod war marshal. It contains three bodies within itself. It contains multiple Bartolome into evangelist into veto. And you immediately have three bodies to sacrifice to make your four, three. So you basically upgrade your three drop into a four, three, and you get three counters on veto. Now you have thirteen power in play across three creatures. Real quick: A, it contains multitude. B, did you see Bartolo? Like Bartolo alone? I'm just joking. Anyway. <laughs> Bartolome. Yeah, I think you saw this. They gave him a nice little conquistador name because that's Wait, part of the theme of the set look, is colonialism. Real quick, random uh, interlude here in tangent. Did you see Bartolo Colon just got drafted again for baseball? Yes. Is it like his the son dream is the same life. name? No, 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 no. Like literal 50-year-old Bartolo Colon or whatever. So there is a new baseball league being created in the Middle East, kind of like the Live Golf Tour. Okay. And they recently like had a draft. And like the first five picks, it was like some guy that was like, you know, a good prospect. And then it was like Robinson Cano, uh, like Bartolo Colon, like, you know, like the, the former major league players. They're going to like have star power or whatever. And the league is being run by a bunch of like former major league players and stuff. And it's just going to be, it's going to be wild, I'm sure, or whatever. But Bartolo Colon is going to be back out there throwing pellets at people. So anyway, yeah, come play baseball in the summer in Dubai. Yeah. That, I'm sure that'll be in fun. Dubai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it'll be domed. 140 but, degrees. Um, And, you know, that's, that's, let's try to like not cover too many more cards today because I want to be able to get a bunch of the rares and stuff in on the next show. But I do want to talk about the lands that are in the set. So there's a hidden land it's not literally hidden. There's called hidden something in every color. Um, they're all commons. They come to play tapped and they tap for their color, but they all have the same ability. It's four in whatever color. So four in a green, four in a red, four in a black, etc. Sacrifice this land, discover four, activate only as a sorcery. This seems pretty good, Ross. I don't know if it'll be constructed, but like limited looks great. Uh, commoner maybe looks, sorry, uh, what's it called? 
in Magic. Popper? Popper. Sorry, it's called Commoner in Flesh and Blood. Um, yeah, in like Popper, this seems, I mean, look, again, I'd ask your partner to tell me if these cards are good or not, because I feel like she has a better grasp on that format than I do right now, but <laughs> than most. These yes. seem pretty sweet as like just like and I could even see myself in certain decks like just being like, yeah, I just want one of these in my 60. Like it's fine. And then not to mention, this could do some busted stuff in decks with like Amulet of Vigor is of possibly. Yeah, I could see the green well, like a singleton green one in hidden hidden nursery uh in Amulet. I do think they're more so for limited, but it suggests that the limited format is going to be slow, and uh, you know those limited formats tend to be quite fun because the the games go along. There's a lot of back and forth. If you're getting value you get from your spells. lands, you're not just going to like run out of stuff to do. Um, you know, and sometimes you'll just like hit a crappy two drop off of it. Sometimes like you'll hit your you know bomb uncommon that costs four yeah. mana, and and that'll be awesome. Uh, so yeah, I, I I like these lands and. Generally, I just like them for what they at least suggest to me what the limited format is going to look like. Before we end the show, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up. So our next show will probably be finishing, I'm assuming finishing off the spoiler with the way spoilers work by this time next week. We'll probably have all the cards. Yeah. Um, et cetera. If not, we'll just do the rest of the stuff that we can. Um, uh, I only have one more thing like for this year that I know of so far. Like I'll be in Atlanta for the RC. I'll be doing coverage there. But anyone who's ever seen me do coverage for the RCs before, I have a lot of free time on my hands. So please come up, say hello, come talk to me, etc. I am gone for the next four weekends, Tannen. Where are you going? I have an Apex event this weekend, so sure. be sure everybody to tune into that Saturday and Sunday. That's the last uh, Invitational Qualifier weekend before the Apex Invitational, which is the last of the four weeks that I'm talking about. That's sure. the weekend before Thanksgiving. And in between, I have Anderson LeClaire's wedding, which I'm officiating. <laughs> and I almost uh, did that. And Not then I his, have a, his wedding, but yeah. And then I have a uh, a vacation weekend with Emma, a semi planned. We don't have the actual vacation part of it planned, but like we are planning to go away somewhere. You've set aside the date. You yeah. don't have the details yet. Exactly. Sure. So I have those four th- four weekends booked, but I'll be around during the week. We'll definitely get some episodes out for y'all. Uh, and uh, as Tannen will now explain to you, we're going to start doing some different kinds of episodes for funsies. Yeah. So like when we have um more downtime in between stuff, which there's not a ton, right? But like, we're going to do this, you know, with the new cards coming up. We had an idea for uh, a couple new shows. I don't want to give away too much, but we're going to have some, like, retrospective episodes, talk about, like, the history of magic through our own eyes. You know, we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about things that make us happy instead of things yes. that make me angry. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm fine. Ross, <laughs> for, Ross is a little more honest. But, you know, like, like here, here's a good example. I think we're gonna have an episode sometime soon where, um, and this this will probably span multiple episodes. We're gonna have an episode sometime soon where, um, we're gonna sit down. We're gonna have some stuff like pre-prepared for this, but some of this will be off the cusp. And we're gonna talk about like the years in which we played Magic, and then like you know, because like the show will probably start off with me talking about Magic in like 1995 and what I remember. You know what distinctly I remember from from going on there, and I already have like an idea for one of the stories that I'm gonna tell. And we'll talk about that stuff, and then. You know, there'll be some gaps in there because I took huge breaks. You know, when you got competitive, when I got competitive, we'll talk about those years and see how much we can fit into every episode. And we'll try to have some good antidotal stuff, some really good stories, uh, some really good history lessons, you know, things that we've learned from there. Just uh, overall, I think it's going to be, I hope it's going to be interesting for people to hear, you know, the history of magic told like through an oral retelling through our eyes, you know, like, you know, how we did like, 
Like, here's a good example. You and I play, like, when was the first year you got really competitive? Um, you don't know the name. What was the set? Like, because for okay. me, it was, it was like right into Kamigawa, like when that came out. Like, so that was I, my first I, real PTQ experience. I got my DCI card, played regionals, and then played my first PTQ in the spring and summer of 2003. Playing so just before me, right? Yeah. Madness. Yeah, just before me. Uh, but it would have been later, uh, yeah, 2000, so 2000, that would have been right after, uh, no, it, it was later Blue Green Madness though, because it was, this is sure. when like, like post Psychotog. Eh. No, couldn't have, well, post when Psychotog was good. Eh. Um, I, I actually it, was, I was around Magic, so I remember watching the Psychotog Pro Tours. It was like, yeah, this, this would have stuff, been yeah. right after, right, like Scourge and, uh, and yeah. 8th edition. This was I had like just Magic's come back to the game. Yeah, I just come back to the game. I hadn't gotten competitive yet. Like I was, you know, hanging out with people at the store, but we'll, we'll get into those stories. Also, uh, last weekend I was at SCGCon Dallas. I was there to cover, you know, the flesh and blood of it. I was doing casting and stuff for it. Um, it was really cool to be able to walk in back and forth between the two events. You know, when I had time off, I'd go check out the magic section. I'd like, we watch Corey or Jerry or Dave Shield or somebody play. I got a Corey stream for a moment and he made the joke. So, like, you know, in between the games, he like has this. I walked up like right as he's finishing his match. So he's like, talking to his stream you know talking to chat and i just like jump in as we're talking with him for a minute and he like asked me some magic question and you can see this if you look at me ross like he saw me like he asked me a magic question and i had been talking and doing flesh and blood for like two days straight and he said he could like see my brain tick over like i had to like change to magic brain yeah out of like flesh and blood brain yeah it's like when you speak different languages yeah you have to like take a second to like convert yeah you have to like flip the switch you know kind of thing and yeah, so Dallas overall was really, really fun. Uh, it's a super easy trip for me. You know, the flight is like somewhere between 55 minutes and an hour and four minutes almost every time. So I can just jump on a plane and like I flew home Sunday night, like without a problem. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, look for more Lost Caverns of Ixalan talk. So far, set looks really sweet. I kind of like the overall of what we're going for here. And um, I'm hoping this impacts standard quite a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. As I said a lot, like I like sort of where they're putting power level and things, and there's not as much like immediate value on the threats, but it makes me worry that, especially with the the slower rotation, like are these cards just going to get dwarfed by the cards that we already have that sure. we know are quite good? I I am worried about doing coverage of these cards because I don't know how to pronounce any of them. Like it's it's so ridiculous. Like you'll, it's like uh, learn Kamigawa was easier. Like phonetically, it has worked to most of them. This one, I don't think phonetically yeah, works. It's based off cards. of a whole different language. Yeah. Oh, yay. All right. Anyway, thanks for listening. Just brush we'll up on your nopaddle and you'll be oh, fine. Oh, yeah, my bad. I'll go Maybe download a little that Quechua. One. I don't know how how, how, how far south they're going. I got a, I, was say, I can get that app on my phone, I'm pretty sure. I'll, I'll go look it up. <laughs> yeah. For a bit home, thanks for listening. We'll see you all in the next episode. 